As we get started here this morning, I just, I want to say it in front of you folks. I want to say thanks to Pastor Brennan for those two messages he brought uh, these last two weeks. That was very helpful, very instructive, and uh, powerful. We're, we're very glad for that. Um, that's the kind of thing we could keep on uh, digging into more and more is the sovereignty of God in salvation. So, um, but we are going to... Uh, Keep moving on here. If you have your bulletin, there's a little outline in your bulletin that you can track along with on the goodness of God on display for all to see. And if you and I don't uh, say that God is good after a weekend like you and I have had, uh, shame on us. My goodness. And we know that uh, here in America, especially, it is um, just overflowing with uh, blessings. But so often... That's not given, God's not received the credit and praise for it, for it. So thanksgiving is specifically directed to God and all the blessings of it. And uh, so I'm uh, very, uh, I, I've said it a number of times this year, my cup runneth over. Um, I think I said that when I announced that, um, not announced, but maybe, let's see. How do I say it? There's another baby coming. And so um, I want to be careful not to draw attention to um, the new mommy, um, but somebody's pregnant in our family and it's not my wife, okay? <laughs> and we're excited for Brady and Heidi. I held back. I, I, you have to know, I've held back for a really long time. <laughs> I just asked her this morning, can I say it? Yes. So thank the Lord for that. Uh, thank the Lord that um, he is God. Thank the Lord that there's nothing that shakes him off of his control or throne, whatever you want to call. God's good. Okay. And um, the way I'd like to walk through this is just in these three points in your outline. Um, number one is about man's perspective. We're going to get there in just a little bit. But um, we, uh, we've got uh, the, the book of Psalms, obviously. Monty read a couple of Psalms before prayer time, and I'd like you to either mark this down or open up your Bible or both to Psalm 31. This is uh, one of the verses that we're just going to launch from into this study here on the goodness of God on display for all to see. And Psalm 31, verse 19. Um, I'd encourage you to spend time reading Psalm 31 and, and watching the flow of it. Because um, for you that have had, uh, and most of you have, had difficulty in life, uh, distress in life, uh, things that knock you down, Psalm 31 is going to help you tremendously. But we're just going to look at this one verse quickly to start our time here this morning. Psalm 31, verse 19. Just... Again, lock in right now to this verse, would you please? 
How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you. God is good, and this attribute of God's goodness is one that is um, labeled as a communicable attribute a communicable attribute and simply stated that's one that you and I can share in. That's an attribute that we can say, well, you know, so-and-so they're, they're, they're really a good person. Now, another way to say this that we'll see in these verses that we're looking at is kind. There's a kindness factor and, and we've got a lot of people right here in this room. We could say, well, they're good. They're kind. Um, and that wasn't, uh, that wasn't necessarily founded in you. That's a blessing from God. Because why? God is good. God is kind. And it seems like this is rather a simplistic concept. God is good. Well, okay, let's move on. We got that. And that's the thing. Listen, that's the thing with me. That's the thing with you. We, th- we think we got it down. And yet, it's interesting as we do a little digging, we recognize we don't. We'd like to start with point number one, from man's perspective. From man's perspective, we say that very thing. Oh, yeah, we we know that. In fact, we like that. We really like that God is good. (laughs) We all know it. At least that's what we've always been told. And since I was a little boy, you know, sitting down at the table, God is good. God is great. No, God is great. God is good. And we thank him for our food. By his hand, we all are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Amen. And that's exactly how we ended up saying it. Did you follow me? You know, I, I, it, as kids, you, you kind of race through the prayer because we're supposed to. And then, you know, those that are a bit more creative in their in their way. Oh, the Lord is good to me. And so I thank the Lord. And that's our prayer. You know, we sing a prayer about the, the Lord being good to me. For giving me the things I need, the sun and the rain and the apple seed. The Lord is good to me. Amen. And that prayer is, is nice if it's sincere, but it can become wrote just like god is good god is great you know you know it's that way with us um the goodness of god is mentioned time and time again in scripture and the fact is that we are recipients of his goodness and so the problem is i mean yeah we really like this and and he, he's blessed us. He has, right? Yeah. He's blessed you. He's blessed you. Is there anyone here, in here who hasn't been blessed by God out of the goodness of God? You know, and you probably wouldn't say, I'd raise my hand anyway, but God is good. And he has blessed his people, his creation. So it's a familiarity thing. 
that that can create a problem. So letter B, is there a faulty foundation that we stand on thinking about this goodness? Is there a faulty foundation? In other words, is there a faulty foundation in your life or in my life about this very issue? And we think, no, no. But that's why we kind of do this work to try and bring it forth so that you and I can evaluate it better and not make it just say, oh yeah, we got that. No, think it through. Now, this term good, this word good, you know, we use it in all sorts of ways. Um, But then when we go to try and define the term, it's like, wow, this is, you know, like, interesting here because think of this um what's good in this church what we might say is good in this church might not be good in another church oh and another way say it this way what's good in las vegas isn't necessarily what's good in fallon because it's all relative it's a relative thing right The word good is relative because the standard of goodness for one isn't necessarily the standard of goodness for another. So when it comes down to moral goodness, now shift gears, not just good in a broad general way, but now in, in, in regards to a moral, moral decisions, moral behavior, when it comes to moral goodness, what is the standard and who decides what is and what isn't good. And if you don't see that in our society now, you're, you're not, you've had your head in the sand. You're not paying attention to what's going on because now it's, it's like this. Here's, here's marriage. Marriage, God said was what? Good. Right? It's good. But now society steps in Government, governments step in and they redefine it and say, no, that's, that's not quite it. That's old fashioned and that's, that's, that's wrong. In fact, you know, let's open it up to now. Here we go. Same sex marriage. That's, you know, we don't want to deny that to other people, right? Right. So that's got to be good. Wrong. Now we've moved the boundaries, so to speak. We've taken the standard and said, no, let's change it. Let's redefine it. Because we like, we think our definition of good is better than, than whatever the old fashioned book says, right? So this is the stuff of what happens when people get their hands on it. When people, including Christians, sometimes it can, you know, bend and swerve. So it's because Christians want their own, uh, you know, their, their kind of understanding of things. So we have to be alert for any faulty uh, foundation, so to speak. When, when we're talking about the attributes of God, and especially here in this case, the goodness of God, because it's such an easy thing to swallow. The goodness of God. We got that down. So we have to be alert as our tendency is bent towards, and I've got this on your, you know, under letter B, beware of Santa Claus theology. 
hey, it's about time, right? Santa Claus, you know, why not? We have a Christmas tree over here and the little reindeer and Santa Claus decorations over here. Hey, we're all so used to it. You know, if we set something up in here like that, I think, praise the Lord, we'd have a lot of people griping about it. <laughs> that's Santa Claus. It's, that's a myth. And yet, here's, here's the thing, folks. We take that kind of thinking and somehow open it up into our theology. Yeah. Santa Claus theology. And we don't have a strong foundation on the, on the theology that God gives us in his word. We need, that's what we need to have and build on, on his word. And again, that's pretty simple. It's simply a matter of saying, is my perspective on things, you know, from God's perspective, from God's point of view? And you say, how do you get that? By just reading the word and asking God to speak to your heart and teach you. That's how. Having God's perspective is not an impossible thing. You can have God's perspective because you're in the word of God. You're trying to learn it and and grow in that. Not that you can, you know, know everything that God's, uh, every move that God makes. No, but you're learning and growing in the things of God. So that's man's, uh, you know, an approach about man's perspective. Number two is now, here's what we need. From God's perspective, regarding God's, the, the goodness of God. From God's perspective, okay? This is what we need. Now, it's interesting. It's like this situation in the Gospels in Luke chapter 18. Let's turn there. You know, um, this is like such a setup question by this guy. It's like, why didn't Jesus hit the grand slam out of the, ballpark on the and answering the question why did he answer it the way that he did let's look at luke 18 verse 18 it says a ruler questioned him saying good teacher what shall i do to inherit eternal life so there it is there's a slow pitch softball you know coming in the you know theological swing and it's you know you tend to think jesus struck out on answering the question, come on, just, you know, accept Jesus, pray a prayer, something, but he, it's like Jesus missed out. What's wrong? Jesus didn't miss out by the way, because he, he never misses out. Never, never misses out. Never. Why do you call me good? Because now what Jesus is doing, he, now he's, he's going right to a heart issue. He, the, the, good, the rich young ruler kind of figured, hey, yeah, this, this guy's a good teacher. But what does he mean by good? And so Jesus takes the opportunity and says, here, right? Verse 19, why do you call me good? No one is good, right? No one is good except God alone. So it's a matter of redirect our thinking because all too often our standard or our measurement for goodness of what is good is derived from our own what? Our own experience. This guy maybe cruised around, you know, he's a, he's a, he, he kept the commandments is what he said later. So he, he probably hung around all the good people, right? 
tongue-in-cheek, good people. All the Pharisees, they're really good guys. They keep the commandments, right? And so that's the challenge for us. You know, what standard or measurement of goodness are we using? You know, we, we've got to come back to what Jesus is talking about here. And, you know, I, I might say this, and many of you could say this too. I just wish we were back in the good old days. Were they good in God's eyes? In God's heart, was it good? Uh, maybe not. You know, again, it's challenging you and me to think through what standard or measurement am I using about God's goodness and what I say is good. Here's a definition for goodness. Yeah, one of these, uh, you know, theological designed answers here about goodness. God's goodness is his desire to show kindness upon his creation. Simple enough? Pretty simple. And his goodness refers to his kindness as is shown to all of fallen mankind, guilty sinners. So what we get from that is it's like here's a, a covering. And the covering is God's goodness. And underneath that is, is love, grace, mercy. Because that's, that's all a part of God's goodness to you. Now, some of you may not have responded to his mercy and grace in Christ, but you enjoy his goodness, believe me. And so the key right now is in what I just said, you need, you need, you must respond to the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. If you don't, you're just benefiting from his goodness of being alive and so we need to understand that the definition of goodness has got a big overarching like an umbrella kind of a thing where there's here's love and mercy and grace that's a part of that so you know think through this issue why do you call me good i want to take you to romans chapter 2 romans chapter 2 this is another aspect of thinking through some things that are very important. Um, you know what? I need. I, I think it's important that I mention this to you. I brought this book. <laughs> I want to share it with you here quickly before we move on to letter B. But this is about the, the generosity of God. Listen to this. This is uh, the book Knowing God. How many of you got the book Knowing God at home? you've read it you need to get it if you don't have it you you need to get the book knowing god by j.i packer this is an excellent book and um so um he's saying about the abundant goodness of god this is the quality he writes this is the quality of generosity generosity means a disposition to give to others in a way which has no mercenary motive and is not limited by what the recipients deserve, but consistently goes beyond it. Generosity expresses the simple wish that others should have what they need to make them happy. Generosity is, so to speak, the focal point of God's moral perfection. Interesting. So, the uh, the fact 
is here that God is good. There, and there is no one who is even close in comparison to God in his goodness. And that gets back to Luke chapter 18. Why do you call me good? There is no one good but God. That's why he brought that forth, saying, here's God. He is wholeheartedly, completely, perfectly good, um, eternally, uh, unchangeably good. Okay? So, with that, now let's move to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. He says, Paul is writing, and he says, do you not, or do you think lightly, of the riches of his kindness or King James version uh, goodness. You think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. Okay. So Romans two, four, his goodness leads you to repentance. Now this is important that we think through this because the tendency is listen, the tendency is that we say, well, I already did that. Most all of you have been in church most all of your lives. And you tend to think, oh, I, I repented from my sin. But the idea again here is that you carry on with that practice. It may be that you have not carried on with that practice. And thus, he says in this verse, he says, you know, um, do you think lightly? You know, a, a more direct way of saying it might be, do you despise? That's one of the version, what one of the versions says. Do you despise the goodness of God? Do you despise the goodness of God? And it, to despise or think lightly means to basically underestimate the value of something. You're underestimating God's goodness in this case. And many people, not necessarily here, but many people, and we might know some of them, they even go to the point of refusing to acknowledge the goodness of God. They wonder how he can allow bad things to happen to good people. That's their, that's their big thing. And I know that's one thing that we wrestle with all the time, right? Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? What have we just said? What's the, what's the standard? What's the, what's the measurement of a good person? Right? Am I, it, you know, you say, okay, let's vote on the goodest. Sorry, Mrs. Travis. Let's, let's vote on the goodest person here. Okay. How many for Simi Travis? Everyone, <laughs> you know, and we'd all say, yeah, because in our measurement, she is. Or others of you, you know, I don't want to pick just on Simi, but that's the way it is. And yet somehow we let this slip. This business right here in Romans chapter 2, the goodness or kindness of God is leading you to repentance. And then I limit that by saying, well, yeah, I already did that back in 1974 when I got saved. I repented from my sin and I accepted Jesus and now I'm all set. But see, the thing is, you and I still have a battle in life regarding your sin or my sin. We have, we have to battle sin every day. But we can't do that in our own strength, in our own logic, in our own power. We have to do that through His grace, through His help. 
Okay? People that would reject or refuse to acknowledge God's goodness, they can't understand, they can't see that his goodness, get this, God's goodness pre- prevents all of us from just falling over dead. That's one of the extreme ways of just putting it. See, somehow we think that our vitamin pack helps us to stay healthy, and, and, and that is it's fine, but... It's, it's all this human stuff that we add in and say, well, you know, I put this anti-aging lotion on my neck and I'm, you know, all that. It's all man stuff, man stuff. Yeah, we want to look good and handsome and beautiful and all that. But suddenly it goes over to sin and you're in control. And when things don't go your way, why is God not good? How come God's not good? I mean, this happened to me. See, we aren't, we're, we're seeing with really dirtied up glasses, really dirtied up perspective, really man-centered perspective, if we're thinking that way. I want to be thinking more and more, and I want to encourage you to think more and more along this line. It's only because of God's goodness that I'm alive right now. It's only because of God's goodness that you are alive, that you have your next breath. It's only because of God's goodness that he has not yet brought forth ultimate judgment. See, he still goes based on the fall, right? Here's the fall back in Genesis chapter 3. And uh, he has every right to just say, you die because you have what? You've sinned. So therefore, you're, you're separated from me forever. He has every right to do that. He's just and righteous in every way, every decision. With that in mind, turn to James chapter 2. Look at this verse in James chapter 2. The end of verse 13. This is what we're living with right now. This is how we're functioning right now. And this is why God has not yet brought ultimate judgment upon mankind. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And some people call it the age of grace that we're living in right now. The age of grace. And so it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. That's, that ought to be seen as an ongoing Every day, kind of a principle that I want to apply in my life. Okay? If I do something wrong, I need to not defend myself and not say, well, it was your fault or your fault. I need to turn, I need to understand what Scripture calls it. And he's, God says that it's sin that I've committed. So I need to name that to God. He knows it already, right? But confess it to Him and then keep walking in your life with the Lord. And as a part of that, it's saying, I want to I practice that principle of repentance. It's a, you know, you need to turn from that and, and keep walking with God. Are you struggling with something today, Christian, in your life? Are you struggling with something? Then you need to identify it. Say, God, I am, I'm lusting after someone or I'm coveting after something or I'm lying or I'm what name it. And then 
say, God, thank you for forgiving me. Now turn around and keep walking away and saying, God, I want to keep that discipline going. I want to keep confessing things to you. I want to keep near to you. I want to draw near to you because God will draw near to me. That's a promise in Scripture. Again, in the book of James. So what's God's perspective about goodness? Okay, we need to move quickly here. Point number three. Go back to Romans now, the book of Romans. <clears throat> We're in Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. The goodness of God is on display for all to see. And that, I mean everyone, everyone, whether they acknowledge it or not, God's goodness is there for all to see. But in particular now, for God's children, for the, for the believers, it results with the, the perseverance, point number three, the perseverance of the saints. The perseverance of the saints. Now, we're in Romans chapter 11. It's pretty heavy-duty stuff. And there's an a issue going on about, you know, well, what about the Israelites, you know, and, and such. Um, I want you to look at verse 17 in Romans chapter 11, verse 17. Now, he's, listen, he's using an illustration, and it's about the, the tree, the olive tree. And that's his illustration. Verse 17, but if some of the branches were broken off, and you... And there he's referring to Gentiles, not Jews, but Gentiles. You, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. Now, most of us here and here, we're Gentiles. I don't know if there's any Jewish believer here or not, but we're typically all Gentile believers. You know what? That's a sign of God's goodness to us that you somehow became a believer. That's, that's a sign of God's goodness. Okay? The Israelites were Old Testament period what? God's chosen people. Okay? And yet, within that group of God's chosen people, there were some branches that were broken off. Why? What's the deal? Is God not faithful? Those are God's chosen people. What's the deal with this illustration of branches being broken off, severed? It's because they didn't walk in faith. That's the concept that we're seeing in Romans 11. They didn't walk by faith. Now he's saying to the, I hang with me here. He's saying to the Gentiles, okay, Verse 18, do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. Whoa, where are we going? What, what's this all about? It's not that some of the Gentile believers, you know, put it all together and now they're acting like the foundation of everything. No. God called out Abraham. And from Abraham, what? You and I can be children of who? Abraham. We're children of faith. And so 
He goes on, verse 19, you will say then the branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off. There it is. Look at it. Verse 20, for their unbelief. But you stand by your faith. Stand by your faith. That's the idea. So the perseverance of the saints. Why, why, aren't, why aren't Gentile believers cut off? How come? He's saying in Romans 11 that, that, that could happen. Why? Wait a minute. I thought once saved, always saved. Yes. Once saved, always saved. Yes. And here's the thing. Genuine faith. What we're dealing with here is there's a, a world full of people that might say, oh, I believe. I have faith. And they very well might be still part of the tares not the wheat, the tares. Not the sheep, but the goats. So, here's what we wrap it up with. I'll do this as quickly as we can. So, it's about the perseverance. The goodness of God causes, you know, brings forth this business of the perseverance of the saints. In other words, fill in the blank in the, under number three, stand by your faith. That's the verse in verse 20. Stand by your faith. Keep walking in that way. Keep cultivating faith in your life. Okay? It's not just believing the right things. Some of you can sit in this room Sunday after Sunday and say, I believe the right things and yet not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But you got the right things down. You know what? Look at verse 22. Look at it. Verse 22, behold, then the kindness or goodness and severity of God to those who fell severity. What does that mean? To those who didn't continue believing, didn't continue walking in the faith. And we look at it from our perspective and we say, but I I was told in church once saved, always saved. How come that, you know, what's the deal? It's a matter of making sure you are walking by faith, not saying you're a member of this church or that church, but you, are you walking by faith in the person of Jesus Christ? And it's not a matter of saying, I got the right theology. No, it's a matter of the right person, the right one, Jesus. And so, it it goes beyond just believing the right things. It means that you've truly received God's mercy, confess your sins, you live each day by faith, you trust in his mercy, you depend on his grace to give you strength today. You need strength today in your fight with sin, in your fight with yourself, in your fight with the enemy of God. You need strength from God, his grace. So, this passage gives forth these critical warnings in letter 3A. And we're not going to give a lot of elaboration here. There's that word again uh, on each point. We're just going to go quickly here. Warning, critical, critical warning number one for you, Christian, for you is the severity of God. The severity of God. If he's going to do this to some who were... The part of the here's the the people of Israel 
They're God's people. If he's going to do what he did to them, why, why isn't he going to do that to the Gentile believers who are not drawing near to Jesus? They're, you know, they're looking like they're a believer. Okay? So it's due to their unbelief. And again, that's, that might sound, I'm contradicting myself, but let's understand there's people that show up in churches who walk by faith or they're not even walking by faith. They're just doing the right thing. They're dressing the right way, saying the right language. Letter B, the critical warning, number two, is about the unmerited favor of God. And why, why say it that way? Because it, it is something designed to cause a greater appreciation and adoration for God. His unmerited favor. We need to understand that. It's just, you and I don't deserve that. Number, letter C, that we abide in God. John 15. That's the idea by standing by faith is another way to say it. Abide in Christ. Abide in the vine. Remain there. Receiving the uh, life-giving power, the, the strength, the sustenance. It's all from his grace. Because why? You're in the vine. Letter D, it kind of weaves itself through all of these, and that is the final one. Letter D, do not presume upon his grace. Don't take his grace for granted. It's, it becomes more and more of a, a serious issue when we look at the scriptures. And again, let me make it clear. I'm not saying if you genuinely come to faith in Christ that you can then lose your salvation. I'm not saying that. Because you study other passages that we haven't had time to look at. John chapter 10 is one. You know, it's clear that once a person truly comes to faith in Christ, they're, they're sealed, sealed by the Holy Spirit. They're God's child now. But are you walking in faith in your life? Evaluate that. Look that over. Examine it. All this is designed to give the true Christian a deeper, more lasting appreciation, adoration for God, thus causing the child of God to trust in God more and more for his daily sustaining grace so that we can walk with him, praise him, love and serve him. And its result, there's growth in one's faith. James Montgomery Boyce, uh, a pastor and author back in, the, in Philadelphia, He's gone on to be with the Lord, but this is what he said, and we'll close with this. Nothing but faith will enable the Christian to stand in grace. Nothing but faith will enable the Christian to stand in grace. And nothing but unbelief keeps anyone away from grace. We... We boil it down to, you know, saying, here it is. Simply put, cultivate faith. And that being a a matter that God strengthens you in. God helps you in. There are all sorts of things that happen that cause us to question God's goodness. But the more that we can study his word and 
look to Jesus and recognize when God says he is good, he means it. Some of the difficulties that happen in our lives, we know they're there for a reason. We can't see exactly what it is that he's accomplished or that he is accomplishing, but we know God is good. It's one way to close up a day. It's one way to start a new day. Just speak it out. God, thank you for being so good. Thank you for being faithful. I'd like the men to come at this time who are helping serve communion. And I want to encourage you, uh, you folks, just quiet your hearts. Rehearse in your mind, review in your mind how God has been good to you. Give him thanks for his, how faithful he is.